0: Uh, we took a, a short break, family, uh, if you, and now we are back talking about Acts. You've got my man Johnny passing out Bibles, so if you need a Bible, grab one. Uh, we again want to just continue to encourage you to, uh, to grab a Bible if you don't have one uh, at your home, because we want to get used to kind of going through the, the Bible together, guys, so uh, please do that. Build that, build that exercise uh, with me. Build that muscle, I'm sorry. And... Uh, we're going to be going through a lot of texts. You want to be looking at the Word yourself, making sure I'm not making something up. Uh, as, a, as a covenant community, we uh, go through books of the Bible so that we can uh, make sure that we are, by God's grace, providing the whole counsel of God's Word to us. Uh, The natural tendency for myself and for you is to stay in those places in the scripture that are comfortable, uh, that we feel we we have a grasp on. And what I love about exposition is it forces us to have to deal with the whole counsel of God's word. It forces us to say, "Uh uh-oh, here's a passage that I hate, but it's in the Bible, so we need to cover it. Uh, so that's, our, that's um, one of our passions, but just to be faithful to Jesus. So we just, we're going through Acts right now. we have gone through John, Genesis. We'll, we'll keep going through books of the Bible until we reach the whole Bible. And, and you guys know what we said after we get through the whole Bible. You know what we're going to do then, right? Go through it again. So um, that's our deal. Uh, we, we just had a great time. Uh, I think you guys, by God's grace, I hope you, you've encouraged our teaching team. Uh, we have a strong teaching team. Uh, you guys did a great job with Lent. Uh, really exalting our Lord and helping us understand um, uh, different aspects of the cross and the resurrection and the preparation up to those great uh, Christ events. And uh, then uh, we had a great uh, Easter celebration uh, with all you guys' help, just honoring the Lord uh, through uh, the great help of, of decorations to our, our people, just singing out to Jesus. And now we get, we're excited to get back into uh, the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 4. Um, if you... Haven't been uh, going through We're in uh, chapter four. Um, just to give you a little brief snapshot, uh, we've, we've done a lot in Acts already. Uh, as, you, as you remember, uh, Luke and Acts basically uh, is written by, by Luke, and it's uh, basically encouraging Theophilus on basically who Jesus is, what he has done, his life, his work. Uh, it, was one, it was one book for a while, and then it got separated into two books. And so that's why, so it's almost like Luke part one, Luke part two. <coughs> um, he talks about the, the the life the life of Jesus, and then he talks about Jesus rising from the dead um, and, and then Jesus actually rises from the dead, He reveals himself uh, to his disciples. Uh, he reveals himself, and then he basically proclaims to the disciples what, his mission, what the mission is, right? But he not just gives them the mission that we see in the earlier uh, chapters, but he also gives them the power to accomplish it. And so we talked a lot, and we'll continue to talk a lot about uh, the Holy Spirit, which is a huge part of, of understanding the book of Acts. And in, in, in some historical cir- circles, they call it the, 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 the Acts of the Apostles, and some call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit even. Uh, because there's so much uh, that's talking about the reality of of, of this uh, third member of the Trinity and what he does in in, in the sense of what he's doing in, in the new creation and bringing about uh, God's God's redemptive work, uh, we realize in this in this uh, in these these chapters that the, these guys are now filled with the Holy Spirit. They get the mission. They're told, "Hey, you're going to need something to accomplish the mission." He gives them what they need to what they need in order to accomplish the mission, and that is God Himself. And He gives us God. Uh, he gives us Himself. So all of us who love Jesus right now, I just sometimes marvel at the fact that you have God in you. you ever think about that? Like <laughs> we have God in us. Um, he reminds all these guys. This is uh, uh, all the people who have ears to hear to hear. Um, uh, that this, is, this isn't some new thing. This has happened in Joel. It's documented in Scripture uh, that God was going to do this. He was going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Uh, he, so He makes it clear, and so we see that in the text. Uh, he continues on uh, by preaching the gospel, validating through the Old Testament, and, uh, and all these guys hear the good news of Jesus in their in their, and I feel like in their posture, in their cultural context where He was really utilizing the Old Testament, and they're like, man, well, what do we need to do uh, to be saved? And He's like, hey, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? They realize that they're enemies of God, them and and he they, they you need to repent you need to trust Jesus they they say, okay, and a ton of people get saved. A ton of people become Christians. Uh, it says around about 3,000 um, are added to the number. So God uh, gives, gives grace to that ministry. A ton of individuals receive Christ as their king. We now see a new community formed. Uh, they begin to see how to do Christian community. We see that toward the end of, of Acts chapter 2. Uh, and then you begin to see uh, some validation happen. We begin to see some validation of Jesus being king uh, through us, through his people, really, really modeling what he said would happen. And that is, you know, I'm going to come give you this mission, give you the power to do it, right? He does that by even modeling that through Acts chapter 3 because he begins to move in supernatural power that we saw Jesus move in through his disciples. Why? To validate that they are now carrying out my mission. Uh, so um, we begin to see this healing in chapter 3, we talk through that, and now here we are uh, in chapter 4, so uh, turn with me to verse 1, and I just want to uh, start out by by saying this is a, a very interesting uh, pericope because it seems like, you know, there's a lot that Luke could have written, so whenever you see a different historical narrative, which is what we're seeing here, you've got to ask yourself why, and I wonder if one of the main reasons here uh, is because you begin, he's beginning to discuss sort of the effect of people being filled with the Spirit, now proclaiming the gospel, and now we begin to see persecution, right? And I, wanted, I want to start by saying persecution is a huge deal in a Christian church, right? It's, it's, it's big. In fact, um, I want to say it's part of the fabric. Uh, there's a lot of promises in Scripture uh, and, and one of the main, one of the main promises that Jesus gives us over and over again, and, and, and apostles give us, is that you, will, if you're a Christian, right, if you experience new life, joy, everlasting, and peace. Guess what comes with it? He says you will suffer a lot and be persecuted. That's a promise. You guys, do you guys, do you guys like pray for that promise, just like we pray for joy and peace, right? But that's a promise that the the king of the universe has given those who who love him. And why? Because the world hates Jesus. Right? And so he's saying, if you really love me, how how do you think the world is going to like you but hate me if you love me? So... And so you begin to see, we're going to see a little snapshot here of, of persecution. And, and I just want us to see, even think back, you know, always tell us to put our, our first century glasses on. I mean, you think of uh, during this New Testament time here, uh, you had huge persecution during like the 60s and 70s of Nero. Huge persecution. I mean, we don't even have to go through the documentations of how Christians were persecuted. I mean, there's movies that we love, like Gladiator and things of that sort. But you know, it's one of those movies we should be really sad about. Because during that time, you know how they were killing Christians? You're mutilating them. You know the, the, the Colosseum was a place of death for Christians? And they glorified in the movies, but you know what they were doing? They were taking whole families. You know I have five kids and my, my beautiful wife. They would take families like that and they would put them in a Colosseum and have them just get eaten up by lions because they love Jesus. Kids and mommies being destroyed. They would, they would tie them up and put tar on them and, and and just burn them. And they would say that some Christians would be would, would would light the Colosseum with their flesh. This is well documented. Imagine that. People were dying like that because they believed in Christ. They had a chance to say no. They had a chance to recant. They had a chance to say, well, well, no, no, okay, okay, well, just don't kill my kids, please. But instead, can you imagine you're a mom, and your kids are looking at you with tears in their eyes going, "Mommy, are you going to let them kill me? He's coming over here. Are you going to let him kill me? And she's looking at her sons and daughters and saying, baby, the resurrection is real. It's real. It's okay. Grabs their hand. It's okay. Can you imagine that? It was normal. See, there's something about to be a Christian when the scriptures say you need to be willing to lose your life. I think he actually meant that. (laughs) Because people were. I I bring that up to you not to be, you know, make Debbie down or anything. I I say it as saying... There's such tension in the Bible because the scriptures are so clear, you know, Matthew 5, you know, that you know, people will see your good works and they'll glorify your father who's in heaven. And we even have like a kind of an unspoken doctrine in our Christian circles, like, you know what? If we're loving people well and we're honoring the Lord, people are drawn to you. Right? Well, I'll say kinda. I don't know if that's automatically I don't know if that's super bibliocentric to make that a doctrine, to make that a statement, because then two things happen. You preach the gospel clearly and fairly and with integrity, and if people aren't drawn to you, now because of the pragmatic expression, the result, you think something's wrong with you. But the Bible says that's not necessarily true. You can preach the gospel, people hear the truth, and guess what? They hate Jesus. Sometimes, no matter how you present it, they're still going to want to kill you. I say that because we enter into this story and we see a scene that's worthy by Luke to be recorded. And I want to process this with you guys. Um, it starts in verse one, all right? Put your glasses on for me. You guys ready to go there? You're there. You're in this scene. Remember, the guy has just been healed, okay? Remember that? And the scriptures say in verse one, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So check it out, right? The crowd started to get so big, it seems like, that all of a sudden Popo came. Right? Right? So the police came. You got all right, so you, you describe some people here. You got your priests all right? You got, you got the individuals who would handle uh, the, the, the liturgy around the area that they were in. You got the priests, so you got kind of like the, the, um, the religious order, right? Then you got the captain of the guard. You got, this, you got this, captain, this temple guy, and what he would do, he would make sure that everything stayed chill. Why? Because they were still under Roman rule. And so, so the Romans did not want um, something crazy to happen, so they put some individuals who were Jews in charge and said, you can do your thing, but make sure you understand we're running things. Caesar is really God, right? But we'll let you do your thing if, it, if there's no huge outbreaks. So he was there to make sure that, that nothing really bad happened. So his biggest issue, to be honest probably in this, is, man, how do we make sure no riots start, no drama, right? And then you got these Sadducees, Right? And Sadducees are, are very interesting people, right? They they uh, basically uh, were were kind of like the po- the political power of the day, right? They were kind of the liberal religious individuals. Right, so the Pharisees were kind of, kind of the strict religious people, and it's almost like the Republicans and Democrats. I'm not telling you who's liberal and who's strict. That's on y'all, all right? But I'm saying this, it was the same deal, right? And these guys had certain beliefs that were totally uh, just very different than those of the Sadducees, and we'll talk about a few of those because they come out in the text here. All that to say is you had, you had the high-power individuals of Israel who drove in on this point, this issue? Because oh my goodness, what's going on? This is going to cause some drama, right? So they come in, and verse two says they were greatly disturbed. These people were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Right now, it says the sense of I love this greatly disturbed. Um, it reminds me in Acts 16, I think we have the verse of Acts 16, verse 18. Um, do we have that verse? It says, uh, and this she kept doing for many days. You, you remember this passage that you, if you've done your reading. It says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, you know, the lady who kept running in her mouth, like, look what these great guys are doing. You think, oh, that's cute. And Paul, obviously, is distressed. He's, like, frustrated, right? He says, turn, a, turn and said to the spirit, greatly annoyed is the same word, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. So it's the same kind of word. It's a sense of, like, great distress and, and anguish, like makes my stomach turn, mental anguish. Someone who's, who's been thinking about this, like, all night, who's been hearing about it, and I'm are like, oh, my goodness, and I want to proclaim the reason why that this is mental anguish is because they thought they had already dealt with this problem. I'll prove that to you in a moment. They thought they had already dealt with this. What is going on? So they get very angry. They're angry at a couple things. Look at the text there, guys. First, it's like, first of all, why are you teaching? Right? You shouldn't be teaching because that's for us. That's for, right, the, those who are the teachers of the law. That's for those who are the politically astute, right? That's for those who are the socially astute. It's not for y'all. Who, wh- what are you teaching for? And we're going to see that later because it talks about them. How do they describe Peter and John? Unlearned men. That's their issue. Wait a minute. Why are these unlearned men, these common folk, talking like they got some knowledge, right? So they first mad that they're teaching, right? They were the apostles were teaching the people, and then the Sadducees specifically were upset. They were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Right, And so these guys thought they had a corner of the truth, but the Sadducees, one of the main things you, you realize if you're, when you're studying any kind of history of the Sadducees is that they were adamantly opposed to the resurrection. They didn't believe in it. And that was a big, that was a big issue between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. But the Sadducees did not, and they, believed, they didn't believe in a lot of other things. Very liberal. Well, it says these guys, those men... They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, which uh, they put them in jail until the next day. So obviously, the text is letting us know there was no time to hold an inquiry. Right, So that's why they had to spend a night uh, in jail, because it was probably 2 or 3 in the afternoon. They give you those times, because they're letting you kind of know what the stage was. That Okay, they started talking at this time, but then it became evening, it got too late, so they probably were dealing with this for a couple hours. It probably was gospel proclamation there during that time, and also confrontation, but then they end up going uh, to jail overnight. And look what it says here in verse 4, guys. It says, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about five thousand, and this is really cool because you know for a while you know I didn't I, when I when I get to uh, really study a passage I get to kind of like do do Greek and things of that sort. And what's interesting here is he doesn't use anthropos, which is uh, basically the general term when you talk about mankind, human, those kind of things. And it's very it's very specific. He uses tan andron. Okay, which means that the the authors want us to see what God has been doing. But basically what he's doing, he's making the distinction that there are 5,000 men who got saved. Um, Which which means that there was even more, right? There was women and children. And so it was a huge number, even more uh, than 5,000 is the point. But I want to pause here. So notice, they grab these guys, they seize these guys, and... And all of a sudden, you can probably be thinking, like, is this of God? But I want to always, some, a guy that said to me, his name is uh, Robert Coleman. Uh, he, always, he said this to me, this older guy. He's I don't know how old he is now, probably almost 90. He wrote Master Plan of Evangelism, and I had an opportunity to be his TA. And he would say this to me over and over again when we would travel while he would be preaching. He would say, Eric, I just want you to understand something, son. Persecution is never an enemy of the church. <laughs> he said it to me like six or seven times. Persecution is never an enemy of the church. You know, have you ever thought of that? That persecution is a friend of the church? Why would it be a friend of the church? I'm going to propose a few things, and I'm going to add some more. Can you go to it, please? First, I believe it seems that the Scriptures are very clear that what happens is when you and I are persecuted, actually it builds our faith. That when you and I actually have to come clean on who Jesus is, when we have to actually say, man, do I really believe this stuff? Because if I do, this is what's going to happen to me. Right, it builds our faith and our trust in the Lord. Right, in James one, you can write that down in your ad, in your address when it talks about what persecution does. That basically it builds endurance. Right, it builds character. That 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 us basically taking one for for Jesus actually builds something in our heart. In fact, um, I would say persecution. The definition is to annoy. Treat cruelly or unfairly because of race, religion, or what I would just say in general, any other. When someone's other than you, and you can name the other, whatever the other thing is, and then you treat them cruelly, or even because of that, that's that's persecution. Also, I want to say it purifies the people of God. Persecution, see what happens is you know, everyone likes, see, everyone likes happy church, right? Everyone likes it when, when a church massages your ego, when it massages your bank account. When, when everything happens for you, you pray and God blesses you. Everyone likes that. No one likes the fact of when you, I'll share your faith all the time and no one comes to Christ. No one likes when someone says, well, the way you did that, I didn't like it, so I'm going to call you dot, 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 a Pharisee. I'm going to call you a person who's not biblical. I'm gonna call. We don't like that. No one likes the fact of when you can go, you know, when I was in Turkey in 96. I met people before Turkey had been opened up to be able to share the gospel. I met a guy, he had been sharing the gospel secretly in Turkey for 16 years. Guess how many people he saw come to Christ in 16 years? One. One person in 16 years. Guess how big his team in 16 years was? Three. Three people. See that, man? Is this should I, should I be doing this? See, see when when now when you go to a place and they say I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'll kill you if I find a Bible. See now we go whoa, <laughs> All right? So what it does. Even here, I mean, even in the States. I mean, we're, we're, I, I can go to these areas where you're getting killed for the gospel and that's happening, that's true. But what's interesting, we're so wimpy in the States, I can talk about m- m- way more remedial things that make us say, well, no, I'm cool, I don't want to do church anymore. Right? We don't even want to identify with people who seem uncool. We stop going to church because the church not cool anymore. I mean, think about the ways people, we get persecuted. We go, oh, okay, I can't do this anymore. It doesn't have to be at the state of murder or family dying. For us, it's when someone just kind of isn't pleased with us anymore. We go, what do I need to do to have you like me again? Because I want to be a good Christian. Okay, don't share my faith? Okay, okay. So walk with you, be nice, but don't tell you that Jesus is king? Okay. Right? Do you struggle with that? So what it does, see, it, 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 purifies, it purifies the body. Now, let's be clear. You can over-purify the church, right? God does his thing, but we see something in the Scripture that's very interesting is in Matthew 13, verses 24 to 30, you can look at it in your own time, talking about the wheat and the tares, Right. it's very interesting in that passage because obviously persecution really says, okay, those who are serious will stay, right, in our former remnant. And those who are kind of been playing around, they'll kind of fall to the wayside. But at the very same time, Jesus tells us very clearly in that parable, Hey, don't go over purifying the church because you might take up some people who are really mine and mess them up. Right. That's the whole point. They say, well, Father, hey, we have the wheat, we have the tares. Hey, the tares are kind of messing up the wheat. You want us to go pick the tares up? What does Jesus say? No. Because while picking up all the tares, you might grab some wheat. So how about you chill out, you wait, let me be sovereign, and guess what? When, when the time comes, my second coming, I'll do the reaping, and I'll let you know who's a tare and who's a wheat. Right? That's what he does. So there's that, t- there's that tension. Because we're, we're called as a people of God to judge sin and to allow people to understand what the, what the cost of discipleship is. And then there's this same sense that God is saying in a church there's going to be people who don't know Jesus and this is going to be a mess. Right? There's a tension. So it purifies the people of God. It also reveals our motives. Doesn't it? I mean, really. I mean, you, you know, you, you start reading the Bible and that's why we struggle with reading the Bible Right? Obviously, it's a spiritual battle. So, you know, you always think when you read the Bible, I always say you read reading the Bible. And you, ain't never, you don't ever think about Oreos until you're reading the Bible, you know? And then you want to go get a cookie, and you want to go do this, and you got to go do this, right? There's always something. I would say that's spiritual battle. Because God wants you to be centered on the Scriptures, and then you you, you worried about this thing and this thing, and they're all, if you pause, you're like, why, did I, why was I thinking about that? So, so the reason why is also because of spiritual battle, but also because, you know what? You start reading the Bible, and it starts telling you who you are not, right? And it starts revealing to you God's desires that are very different than ours. Oh, my goodness. And now you start going, okay, God isn't as concerned at all about money like me. Okay, what do I do with that? Right? God isn't concerned at all about status like me. What do I do with that? God is a concern really at all about my comfort. But my whole life, I'm trying to make myself comfortable. What do I do with that? You see? And so what persecution does, right, when people start coming and start saying, hey, how serious are you about this? You start saying, am I willing to lose my comfort, right, for the Lord, I mean, think about your own journey. Think about the ways, as it were, or maybe you haven't been persecuted. Maybe that's an issue. Maybe you, we're sitting around and we can't remember the last time when we took one on the chin for Jesus. But here, I'm going to say, it seems that, man, God is basically doing his work. Um, and I want to say that persecution only can really happen Right when we are available to it. Okay, so you can go your whole life and go, well, well, you know, I was doing my thing. I just never experienced persecution. I want to propose there's something wrong because God said you're supposed to have persecution and you're supposed to have suffering. That's just that's not me making that up. That's what the Lord said. So when we go through our whole life and we kind of feel like, man, this didn't really happen like that for me. Praise the Lord. The Lord has been gracious. I'm gonna say, well, no, you probably hid is God gives us ample opportunity to experience the cross like he did. Remember remember Colossians? Ample opportunity. Every day, every week, you get an opportunity to carry your cross. You really do. And the real question is, do you take it or do you not? So I want to propose God actually, just like these guys, he wants us to look forward to persecution with you know, some, there some, there's going to be some man centered anxiety, but also with great joy. Look what he says here. It says in verse 5, the next day, these rulers, so they go to jail, the, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in, in, in Jerusalem. So now it gets even crazier, right? They arrest these guys, uh, these guys have been obedient, and all of a sudden, you got this, uh, the Sanhedrin comes, basically. The Sanhedrin, you got the elders, these are, this is like um, the Supreme Court of, of the Jews, okay? So this thing is getting serious. So they come and uh, begin to ask some questions. And, and, and uh, these guys had the right to arrest. I mean, these guys had great power. One thing I, I want to I point out, this is another implication for us as a covenant community, is as I was reading and praying through this passage, one thing that hit me, I thought to myself, like, man, what's interesting about this persecution here that we're, that we're, that we're beginning to see is that I feel like a lot of times when there is failure in my life um, or even uh, persecution— um, or, or bad things happening, I automatically think maybe there's something I did, or maybe the Lord's not in it. And I'm realizing that First Peter speaks differently against that. Right? Uh, you guys remember the passages in First Peter chapter four, I believe chapter four, verses twelve through seventeen. It talks about no. Guess what? Uh, sometimes, uh, first of all, failures actually can be actually absolutely from the Lord. Right? Uh, to point us to him. But persecution, uh, many times, actually uh, models that Christ could be in something, right? So you, you do the right thing, you get persecuted. What I want to do is I want to figure out a way to get out because, man, why should I be getting all this drama if God is in it? And sometimes I'm realizing when I look at my journey and I realize by God's grace, I actually I preached the gospel clearly, my heart was in the right place, I try to be faithful by God's grace. Now I can say, man, wow, I think the Lord might be in this. And, and I don't know what this mess is, but let me just pause and be in it and see what God wants to do. See what God wants to do in this mess. Does that make sense? Sometimes when you know that by God's grace he's allowed you to move in holiness, stay in the mess. Because maybe the Lord put you there for a reason. Now, let me say real clearly, in 1 Peter 4, it says, now that's for people who've been godly. If you're in the mess because you've been evil, right, because you've been doing, you've been living in the flesh, right? So if you if your bills ain't paid because you've been blowing your money, you can't co- you can't claim that part of First Peter, okay? You can claim the second part of First Peter, and that is you're supposed to be getting drama, okay? But you, the first part is for those who said, "Man, I was experiencing Jesus and walking with the Lord, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about me and, and maligning me, huh?" And my tendency, I want to, I want to, want to change, I want to, I want to fix it. Well, what do you think about me? Well, no, that's not true. Well, what do you think about me? Well, that, that, that's not true. What do you, versus going. Wait, okay. Was it ungodly? Did we do the right thing? Well, maybe the Lord has us in this. Let's see what the Lord does. So that's just an implication uh, from your pastor, hoping to help you as you continue to walk in, in his, um, in his joy. And I believe that when we do that, it glorifies His sovereignty. Because it says, okay, God, you're in, you're in total control here. Praise the Lord. So we got the Supreme Court coming on. Look at what happens here. It says uh, in verse 6, uh, you got Annas, the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. Uh, what's interesting, you remember this guy's name? You remember this dude? Remember I told you before? They're kind of like, what's going on, right? Uh, this is not back in John 18, Right? This is the guy they took Jesus to, right? They took Jesus to to Annas, right? And, And so can you imagine he's getting word, this is a dude they killed, right? And he's getting word that this Jesus figure's name is still coming up and people are still doing things in the name of this dead guy and now it's thousands of people. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone dying, right, on Mac and Seminole, right? And in a couple months, there's this huge, you know, know, right near the dairy, there's this thousands of people, and there's a black party for him. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that kind of make you kind of like, what is going on here? Well, you got the power structure. These guys come in, and look what they do here. It says in verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power and what name are you doing this, right? And I just thought to myself, praise the Lord for the scriptures. Do you remember what the Lord says in the scriptures? He says um, in Luke, but also in John, he basically talks about this. Hey, there's going to be a time where you're going to be brought to the high courts, right? Specifically uh, in Luke, right? Uh, He says in verses 14 and 15, uh, and you know what? Don't worry about it when it happens. I'll give you the words to speak. I'm convinced that when this was happening, I'm convinced, man, that Peter and John had to remember that moment. I'm convinced they're like, man, I think the Lord said this. All right, Lord, you're going to do your thing. I can, just, can you imagine chest just swelling up? Oh, yes. Oh, now Jesus told me it's was going to happen. Watch what the Holy Spirit say. Watch what he said. Can you just imagine the swag? I'm telling you. I just think, it's, I just, I think wow, Lord, look at your grace here. So they, they, they say, by what power do you do this? And I love the verb tense. As I was studying. the verb tense is interesting because it's almost like they were begging him. And I thought, what a beautiful lob. Can you, I mean, think about it. They weren't... I mean, can you get a better opportunity to present the gospel? By what power or what name did you do this? Right? And they're like, what power or what name did you do this? And they keep asking over and over again. How many of us get those lobs? Right? We don't get those much, right? But I think we do sometimes. I think people say things like, why are you here? What do you do? Where do you live? Where are you from? See, I think any question a person asks us in this body, I think can lead to the gospel. I'm trying to think of a question that can't help me to help them see the hope of glory. I I don't know about you guys for me. I think I get weary sometimes, and I think I start believing lies. Because I know for me, I mean, I, I've been trained, i got—I got degrees in this, and I, I, there's, I can get in a conversation guided by God's grace. It's a stewardship issue. It's actually scary. Like, I, have, I choose not to get into gospel conversations. Right? Because I, I got the one-line sentences that can enter into any kind of discussion and all that stuff. Right? And, and the Lord has been humbling my heart that, man, you, you kind of lost the fire you used to have. And I've been asking the Holy Spirit, man, like me and, me and Sarah have been talking about this, like the last couple months, Lord, just rebirth in me a fire like I had when I first became a Christian. Man, when I was on campus, man, I would talk to everybody. I remember I had a, I had a chart, and I said, I'm going to share Christ with everybody in my dorm. I'm like, I want that kind of fire. Don't you want that kind of fire? you have that kind of fire where the Holy Spirit, you just, you so are enamored by God's glory and grace that we don't have to sit here and kind of try to, you know, give you slides and try and prompt you to invite people to, 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 the, to Jesus. We shouldn't have to sell you on being missionaries. You shouldn't have to sell me. If Jesus really died on the cross and rose from the dead... They keep asking, what stuff are you using? Basically, is this magic? What you using? To di- How do you get all these people? Right? How do you heal this dude? And then, w- who gave you the authority to use that stuff? they basically asking, right, in the Scriptures. And Peter says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, I'm to pause here. You know when you see the Holy Spirit, we got to talk about the Holy Spirit. All right, look. So I just want to continue to encourage us, what does that mean? Because I want to make sure that we are being doctrinally tight so that our worship is really into our risen Savior. What does it mean? to filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that, right? I want to propose. I don't think, you know, he went into a trance. I'm pretty sure he was, he was intellectual. He made sense. If he did anything weird, I wonder if it would have been documented. Because these guys didn't know all the pneumatology that we know, the study of the Spirit. So, I guarantee you, when it said Jesus, you know, Peter was filled with the Spirit, like, he, he didn't go, you know, because then it would have said, and then, I know, I know, and then, I, you know, Caiaphas and then was like, what's up with this dude? It would have said that in the next verse, because he's doing something crazy. And then, Peter said, it would have said something like that. I want to propose to you, it continually validates that the reality of being filled with the Spirit is that he was walking in humility and obedience to Christ, which is already shown throughout the text And as he was continually walking in obedience and and glorifying God, God was designed to be glorified. It's this beautiful picture of what God does in himself, right? Is that Jesus glorifies the Father, and the Father's like, cool, well, you keep glorifying me, and what I'll do is I'll keep giving you opportunities to glorify me, and I'll keep filling you to glorify me. And it's this beautiful circle, and he does that with you and me. Is that as he allows us to submit to him, and we walk in obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit, then he gives us the power to walk in obedience, And so as he's he's taking these steps of faith, saying, we healed this guy. We're standing here. We don't know what to say. Man, but I want to be obedient to God. God didn't go, no, I'm going to play you. I'm not going to give you the words. No. God said, there's an opportunity for me to be exalted, and I will be exalted through my servant who wants to be obedient. He was simply being obedient. And I want to ask you guys, he puts himself in this environment. And I want to ask you, are we putting ourselves in environments where persecution is a high probability? Think about it, guys. He could have said something real cool and got off and still been doing this thing on the sly and sharing his faith at night. He could have done that. He's standing in the the Supreme Court. He has the police. You got the Sadducees. You got got the rulers of the law. You got all these people here. And you know what he said? He said, look, this is going to seem real weird because they didn't like this. That dude actually got him killed. You knew about it too. So I know y'all don't like Jesus. I know you're scared. But right now is my opportunity to proclaim the gospel and I'll do it. And that's what he does. Sammy. Sammy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure in, in, uh, in other areas, it talked about him being uh, filled with the Spirit. Um, yeah, maybe you guys can go through uh, the text, because we've talked about the, the Spirit a lot. We talked about the different ways that the, the Lord fills with the Spirit, but I want to make sure I'm, I answer your question. So, yeah. So, you know, we, well, right. So why doesn't it say in the beginning, or like when he goes off in the beginning to prison and things like that? Or I'm just trying, I don't know if I'm understanding the question, why is it? No, no. So what is the, when, when it seems like you're saying him being filled with the Holy Spirit is him walking in obedience. Yes, yes. So that's just, is that just a quick way to... That's a quick way of saying him yielding to the rule and reign of God in his life, yes. Okay. And so you, is that, okay, he'll, he'll come up to me afterwards, so. In a good way, please do that. No, but, I, but if I, I mean, I want, to hear, I want to answer your question. I'm just not understanding, I'm sorry. Okay, thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm saying that clearly what, what's happening is that he is yielding to the Holy Spirit and that God is being glorified through him. And that is not, in particular, some kind of external manifestation that we, we see here, but it's God being faithful to his promise to bring glory through his servants. And then it says, look, and he says here, if we are being called, verse 9, guys. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame uh, and are being asked how he was healed, I love that sense. I love the boldness here, guys. Notice particularly um, how he makes it clear the injustice that's being brought upon him. He makes it clear that y'all are wrong for this, right? Uh, If if we're being called into account for the act of kindness, we did a good thing here. He says, then know this, verse 10, you and all the people of Israel— it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, notice this: um, the man is at the meeting. Okay, I love this. So you got the the lame dude is actually right there. So he's still testifying. So he ain't ran off somewhere. He's like testifying, like, look, I'm right here. I'm healed, right? And then notice what. Uh, I just think, again, this is a Holy Spirit thing. Look look at the way Peter talks about this. He talks about this whole reality from a locale piece, right? He really focuses in on the commonality of who Christ is. Look what he does there. He says, um, it is by the name of Jesus, and he talks about him being like Christ of Nazareth. You know why he does that? Because he's continually kind of looking at that, that prideful wound that these guys have, where they're going, why are you teaching? Who are you? You're common. What? You don't have no right to be here. They're saying, guess what? Not only that, guess, guess who healed the dude? Right? He said, Nazareth. Remember what they say in the scriptures? What good can come out of Nazareth? Common old town. You know, this is a place where you, uh, my friend of mine was just making a joke about another town. It's a place where you, you always say it's where you're from because you always leave it. You know, this is, this is Nazareth is, an, is a no place. In fact, you know, it's funny how, now this is how sometimes us not putting on our century glasses can hurt us. When I think about Jesus in the flesh, um, I, in my culture, I think that name is like revered. So even when I hear people being named Jesus, it gives me kind of the heebie-jeebies, right? I'll meet somebody and they'll be like, I'm Jesus. I'm like, oh, bro, you better watch out, bro, you know. <laughs> right? Because in my in our culture, Jesus, we would say, "There's power in the name of Jesus," right? Jesus, you don't just name your child Jesus, boy, right? Don't see y'all? Know y'all think the same? Y'all are like, mm-hmm, me too, right? But guess what? If you go to Hispanic culture, it's extremely common to be named Jesus. Did you know that? But guess what? Even more so, in the first century, it was one of the most common names. It, it, you know what the word, you know what it means? Josh. Josh. Right? It's a common name. Josh is a common name, right? So he's, he's telling them, guess what, man? Josh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Josh Christ. Josh, the anointed one of Nazareth. I mean, can you imagine? That's, what, that's how he's coming at them. To help them see you missed it. You missed it. You were looking for all this, and it was that common dude who actually, as it were, you thinking he was local, you thinking we killed some guy who had some local movement who was totally insignificant, and I wanted to help you understand this. is Peter and the power of the Holy Spirit saying that common guy that you thought was common is uncommon, actually. And he, you thought who was local is actually the God of the world. That his locale is very different than what you think. His locale is universal because he created everything And he's not common. He's God. He's like, that dude whom you crucified, you killed him. You killed that common dude, but guess what? When he rose from the dead, guess what you learned? He's not common. It's that dude. He's God. He calls him out right in the middle of the den. He's right in the middle of all these people surrounding him. Give me a count. Probably like 70 leaders. You're talking about the ruler, the Sanhedrin was about 70 people. And they're all around, give me an account. And he says, I'm going to tell all y'all kill Jesus. You killed Josh. Right? And then he says here in verse 11, he says, Jesus, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. I keep doing that, guys, because I just want you to see how, how Jesus operates on a different agenda. Can you see that? Right? He's like, Josh. Josh, you thought Josh would just come and do you? You looked at him. The picture of that cornerstone piece is a very cool picture, right? He says, I love how he says it here. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders reject. He 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 basically quotes Psalm 118, right? Rich has become the cornerstones. He says, the stone. He says, not only did you reject the stone, when you rejected the stone, you didn't even have it in his rightful place. He pictures a, a big old wall. With just a stone. He's a builder that you you you, you rejected this stone. It's kind of like the people looked and thought, man, this is such a weird common stone. Why is it here? This shouldn't be here. Let's take that out. Right? And then the, the pictures of Yahweh walking and seeing a stone and go, oh my goodness, they 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 took the stone away. He picks up the stone, but guess what? He doesn't put it there, he makes it the cornerstone. So he's saying two things there. Like first you put him in his unrightful place, and then you kick him out. But guess what God did? God raised him from the dead and put him in his rightful place is what y'all did. He says, God, the main architect, took the stone that was lying on the ground and made him the cornerstone. He's not just a local menace, and he ends with this. Can cannot even pause before I even go over what he ends with? I love that text there because I love that he's hitting the very area that they found all their pride in their significance and their power and who they think they were. He said, no, the God of the universe came as this common dude that you didn't even see. And you, you played him and thought he was just this common weird old stone and you tossed him out and actually he created everything and he is the, the, the cornerstone that everything else will be built upon. And what it shows me, the implication for you and me is this is our tendency. I hope it's never at MACAB, guys. Let's not be people who look at people, and as we're caring for them, and we see the very area where the gospel lights need to shine on, that we mute ourselves. Because I want to propose that very area is what should get the gospel light. So if a person's being religious, speak to their religiosity. Resist the urge to mute what offends our neighbors. Let's be real neighbors. He's saying, You saw your your Bible says this. That's why he quotes. Some. And he ends in verse 12, which I want to propose is probably the big idea of the passage. We're going to go home. He says, and he says, and salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I just love it. I just love that he goes through this whole common piece, and then he says, and guess what? That name, I'm pretty sure y'all are going to kill me every time I keep saying it like, Josh, not you guys, but I'm picturing him in the first century. He's like, and that's the name that you've got to use if you want to be saved. That dude. You've got to go to that common, weird guy that you thought was totally insignificant. He's the one that saves. And so, he, so he, what he does there, guys, he just brings it all to the sense that we, we, you killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. And I love this word picture, which I want to propose, propose proves that this is the point of the passage, where it's heading. Uh, he basically makes it clear. John fourteen six. it says, you know, that basically, uh, can you go to John fourteen six where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father uh, but through me. And what he does here, he takes verse 9 and verse 12, and he uses a clear word. He uses the same word. This is so, he says healing. He talks about the dude being healed. And then what he does when he talks about salvation, the word he uses for salvation interpreters, we interpret as salvation. The word he used though, is actually healing. And the reason why is because the author was doing a, a beautiful play on words, which happens often in the Gospels, happens often in our Bible. And what he's trying to say here, he's saying, don't you get it, you rulers? Don't you get it, people? That you guys are going around here and you got us on trial and you're worried about a physical healing, right? And you're asking, well, how did this man heal? I want to tell you something. Not only does that, does that dude do physical healing, but what you need to worry about is that under his name, you get the true healing and that is the spiritual healing. That's his whole point. His whole point is that that healing was nothing compared to what he does in the hearts of those who love him. His point is the gospel. His point is that you, and he's looking at these guys, you're you're so concerned about the the physical, and what you're going to miss is you're going to miss your eternal destiny. And so healed and saved is the same world. His main point is you're wondering about this physical healing. Don't you get it? He's saying, and we see this, right? How many in our community? I, I marvel. And how people are just asking God to pay their bills, but they don't consider that their life is still empty without Christ. They're asking God to bless all these physical things, help my marriage and help this and make me a nicer person, but they don't see that without submitting their life to the king, they miss true life. Is anyone in here doing that right now? Where you, you're playing the game, and you're like, "Man, as long as God blesses me and everything is still hunky dory, and I and I get mine, I'll keep going to church. I'll keep doing fill in the blank." Or you saying, "No, what matters is me knowing God as a friend. What matters is God paying for my sin because I admit He's King and I'm not." That's that's the gospel. Right? And that's what God is bringing us to the point of in this passage here, is what are we willing to do? Right? What are we willing to do? I mean, the thing is, the the Christian faith is is crazy, right? Because we're very, we are, we, you know why people say we're so narrow? It's because they're right. They're right, because we don't agree that the fact of, like, you know what, we have people in our community where they're saying, yeah, I love Jesus, but I believe that you can love, you can be a Jehovah's Witness, and you can be a Muslim, and you can, you know, be, you can be all these things, and, you know, I, I can't judge anyone. No, 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 no. If you're those things, you will not be saved. You will not know Jesus. And guess what? If you think your family are those things, and they know Jesus, they don't. People say, well, I can, okay, well, I agree with you, Eric, maybe, maybe, um, you know, it's not right to be those things, but I think Jesus will still save these people too if they're really good people. No, he's, that's not what the scriptures say. The scripture says in his name alone is how we receive salvation. There's, there's no other way. No other way. And so, yeah, we're, we're narrow people. You know why? Because we have the audacity to sit around and tell people that the Bible is always right and anyone who disagrees with the Bible is always wrong. That's what we say. <laughs> And we don't say it because we wrote it. We say it because God told us that I wrote the Bible. <laughs> That's just narrow. That, that, that makes people very upset. That's what you believe if you're a Christian. Everything that contradicts Scripture is just wrong. You're just wrong. There's only one Savior. There's only one person who has that title. No one else. He's not competing with any other religions. He is the only true God. Everything else is false. Everything. That thinking gets your persecution. That thinking gets people saying, you're so mean. You're so intolerant. Can't believe you would come to me like that. But it's true. And so with humility and love, we believe it and we'll die for it. Right? That's what he was doing there. He came to that point. They could have killed him right there. He says, I want to tell all you guys, under his name alone, anything else you're trying to, your religiosity, your social elitism, all that is stupid without Christ. Let me ask you a question, guys. As I think of our body, first I want to ask, are you you living a spirit-filled life? Are you living a life that where you feel like, man, I, by God's grace, I'm yielding to Christ? Or are you harboring sin? If you're, if you're not experiencing just God's grace and spirit-filledness, and I just want to ask for you to be praying. I, I'm going to, we're going to do a time of tithe and offering and a communion, and I want to have our elders um, in the back. And, I, you know, if you want prayer, you want to be pray, prayed for, I want to pray. I want to pray that we'll be a body who's not just living in the flesh. Man, we're yielding. We, we, God has just given us grace to yield to him. And we're experiencing just that moment-by-moment moment fellowship with our Savior where we're praying, where we want to get in the Scriptures, want to enjoy the Lord. And when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody unabridged? Not said some words that are Christian. When have you sat down and been able to share the gospel message with someone and asked them for a decision to say, Christ is my King? I want to ask you, uh, to do that, I, w- I want to tell you you've had you get many opportunities every day to do that, and with your neighbors, I want to ask that you that we be a we be a local body where we're we're tenacious for Jesus, okay, and we're okay with being misunderstood for the sake of the gospel. Um. Let's put ourselves out there. I think one of the metrics is inviting. I just want to encourage us to be inviting. I want to encourage us as we look at that story, as we see uh, these wimpy guys who were wimps before standing up, being willing to be murdered, and telling the truth to the very people they ran from. Can you imagine it? The very people they ran from. It's the same dude that they took to Jesus when the disciples ran. God is good, and uh, persecution is never an enemy of the church. So, guys, let's, let's enjoy the Lord. Let's allow this spring and summer to be a, a, a summer, man, where we are not afraid at all to to let it loose for Jesus. All right? Let's proclaim him. Hey, we're going to do a tithing offering. Um, I'm staying-